0: Well, we come now to episode three of Pursuing Peace. And in this series so far, we've discovered that the church in Rome experienced a certain amount of diversity. There were two groups in particular in the church in Rome. There were those, first of all, who felt they needed to obey the Jewish food laws and celebrate the Jewish holy days. And then there were the other group there was the other group who felt free to eat anything and considered all days to be the same. These two groups had opposite views. But instead of trying to resolve this issue, the apostle Paul challenges the believers not to judge or to despise each other. He told them that God accepted people from both sides of this debate. And we see from this that that God's acceptance is not based on our theology or our practice, but God accepts people from various theological perspectives. And, And what his acceptance is based on is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what binds us together as brothers and sisters. What he has done on the cross is what unites us. And that work alone is sufficient to make us brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we don't all look the same. We don't all think the same. But God has accepted and pardoned us through Jesus Christ. And he now is our Lord and our master. And so this brings Paul to his statement in verse 4. And this is what we will look at in this particular episode. Let me read what Romans chapter 14 and verse 4 says. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his master and his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. And so in this episode, we'll take the time to dissect this verse and see what Paul has to teach us about living with diversity in the church of our day and about judging one another. Let's begin with what Paul says in the first part of verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Notice that the individuals in Rome were passing judgment on someone else's servant. Now, in Bible times, servants belong to their master. Imagine that you bought a brand new car that your neighbor takes a particular liking to. And he comes over and takes your car for a drive when, whenever he wants, without even asking permission. He feels, uh, in fact, he, he tells you that on, on some occasions that you need to wash that car because he's sort of embarrassed to drive around town with it being so dirty. He even gets upset because when he took the car the last time, you didn't leave enough gas in the tank for, for him to get where he was wanting to go. So at what point do you sit your neighbor down and say, brother, this is not your car. You cannot treat it like your own. You you cannot tell me what needs to be washed and when I need to put gas in it. You do not have a right to what belongs to me. And what Paul is saying in verse 4 is this, your brother and sister do not belong to you. They have someone else to whom they are accountable. And you cannot tell someone else's servant how to live their lives. They are accountable to their master alone. A number of years ago, I was going to another country to visit, and I had a phone call. And when I answered the phone call, the lady on the other end uh, asked me if it was true that I was going to this particular country. And when I said yes, she said, you know, they kill Christians in that country. In other words, what she was trying to say is this, you shouldn't go there because it's too dangerous. But what she failed to understand is that I was going because my heavenly master had asked me to go. And I was accountable to him, and I needed to obey God rather than man. See, our master, the Lord Jesus alone, has the right to determine the path our life should take. And we, when we set ourselves up, uh, we set ourselves up against God when we challenge what he has called someone else to do. And so Paul challenges us to be very careful about telling or criticizing someone else's servant. We are servants of the Lord. He alone is our master, and we are accountable to him alone. But notice as we continue on in verse 4 that there is a question that is being asked. And that question is this, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now, those three words imply something very important. Who are you? And there are several things I want to say about this. First of all, who are you challenges Our qualification to judge. Someone once said that when you point your finger at someone, you have three more fingers pointing back at you, and the biggest one, the thumb, pointing right up to God, who is alone our judge. Consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 and verse 3, where he says this Do you suppose, O man, You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, when we understand human nature, we will be slow to point the finger at someone else because we know that there are plenty of things for which God could judge us. Jesus had this to say about judging others in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. To look on someone else in judgment when we are not perfect ourselves is hypocritical. John chapter 8 recounts the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. These religious leaders wanted to stone her to death because of this sin. And so they came to Jesus and they asked him what they should do. And as Jesus thought about them and understanding that they were trying to trick him into making an answer to answering the question in a way that they could have a reason to kill him. Understanding their intention, Jesus says this, I give you permission to stone her with one qualification, and that is that the one who picks up the first stone must be without sin. They had judged her for adultery. But they were guilty of trying to trick Jesus to find a reason to kill him. She was guilty of adultery. They were guilty of attempted murder. They had no right to judge her when their own hearts were so evil. And so the words, who are you to judge? Questions. Our qualification. But the words, who are you, not only speak about our qualification, but they also challenge our authority. Consider the words of James in this regard, in James chapter 4 and verse 12, when he says this there is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? While there are times when we are called to make judgments in in many things in regards to the church and in our lives, we all have to realize that there is only one person who is the final judge in all matters. And in fact, he is the only one worthy to be the judge, for he alone is perfect and without fault. Or failure. And we are all subject to him. All authority to judge comes from him. He alone has full authority to make a judgment. There's one more thing I want to say about these words, who are you? Not only do they speak about our qualification and our authority, but they also speak to our inability to know the thoughts and intention of the heart. I used to work in coffee shops before I built my office, and I got to see many familiar faces, the regulars who came in and out. And one of these was an older gentleman and his wife. Uh, I would see them fairly regularly in the coffee shop. But on a particular occasion, I noticed that he came in with a, a younger woman. And this became a pattern for a certain amount of time. And I didn't see his wife with him during that time. And I began to wonder if maybe he was seeing another woman. And one day as this man and this younger woman were sitting there having coffee, I overheard an older man who was passing by and and this older man said this, Oh, I see, he said, that you're having coffee with your daughter. And I began to realize how easy it was for me to make a conclusion when I did not know the facts. God alone knows all the facts and he alone is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of my heart. He alone is qualified to judge. He alone has the full authority to judge and he alone knows all the facts and details. And so Paul asks the question, who are you to judge? The servant of another person. Now, Paul goes on in verse 4 to say this. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. It is before his own master that each servant stands or falls. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about standing before a master? Paul, in general, is speaking here about judgment and accountability. And this individual stands before his own master to give an account and to be judged by his own master for his actions. Now, one day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day judged him. In fact, they crucified him on a cross. And, and while judged guilty in a human court, the judge of all declared him to be innocent. And it was only the judgment of his father that ultimately mattered. Writing to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said this, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, Paul considered it a very small thing to be judged by other human beings because they didn't know the intentions and the thoughts. They had no authority, final authority, to condemn him. He left all judgment to God and he would live to please his heavenly father and that is what mattered to Paul. What people thought of him mattered very little and in fact if he was trying to be a people pleaser he would not be a servant of God. Each of us will one day stand before the Lord God, our only master. And our master will hold us accountable to him for our lives. And as we consider that reality, we ask ourselves the question, where does the strength come from to stand firm and to walk in obedience to him? Where does the ability come from to endure when we are being judged by others or criticized by even fellow believers for the path that we believe God has taken us in? And Paul answers that question in the closing words of of verse 4 when he says this, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Each of us will stand before our own master, but realize that God himself as our master will uphold us and he will give us the grace and the ability to stand. Those words are striking. First, they, they speak to us because, uh, because they, they remind us that, that the one we judge, is being upheld by his master. So that when we criticize our brother or our sister who feels they're walking in the leading and enabling of the Lord, we speak evil of the one who stands with them and strengthens them and enables them. These words are also striking because they remind us that while God calls us to mutually strengthen one another, he does not leave us to our brothers and sisters alone. He himself stands with us. The everlasting arms are are with all who belong to God. He sustains us and keeps us, and he takes a very personal interest in us as his children, for the Lord is able to to make us stand from Romans 14 and verse four. God works in ways that are very strange to us at times. And as I was reflecting on this, I, I, I thought about the apostle Paul who one day chose to head to Damascus to arrest Christians and to bring them back captive to persecute them. And I asked myself the question, what would I do If I knew that Paul was going to arrest Christians what would you do if you knew that Paul was on his way to persecute brothers and sisters? Wouldn't you do anything you could to warn them or to stop Paul from making that trip? But what is important for us to understand is that God did not stop Paul from taking that trip. He did not stop him from embarking on that trip on the Damascus Road. In fact in the mind of God this trip that Paul was going to take was one of the most important trips that he would ever take and God encouraged him to go on that path because it was there on that path on that path of rebellion that Paul would meet the Lord Jesus and there on that path the Lord God would come and step in and meet him in that bright light that threw him down up his horse and humbled him and brought him into the kingdom of God. In my human way of thinking, I would have attempted Paul to stop Paul from embarking on that road. But I am so thankful that God does not leave me in my brother and sister's hands alone. He personally leads and directs me, my brothers and sisters. They would not always understand the path that God has laid out, but God knows exactly what he's doing. And as believers, we are accountable to God. And sometimes the path he takes us doesn't make any sense. And we may be criticized or condemned by brothers and sisters who just don't understand but God is leading and and they and we know that God is leading us and as believers we need to accept that we don't always understand the ways of God and, and we don't understand why he leads people the way he does and why he works with people the way he does but what we need to understand is that God embraces his people God helps them to stand, God enables them to walk in the path that he has for us. Who are we to judge? Someone else's servant. We don't understand the workings of God. Instead, we need to be patient and to watch what God will do in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We need to trust him. For he is fully able to do the work and to complete the work that he has begun in their lives. And he will use us if necessary.